Hey everybody, welcome to our show where we ask the question, remember the odds? And we're here to talk about all things from Kirsten Dunst's red wig as Mary Jane to Sarah Michelle Gellar's red wig in Scooby-Doo. That's right, she was in Scooby-Doo. Yeah, Wait, wait, she's great. Are we going to talk about Scooby-Doo's? We have to. Yes. I watched it recently. <laughs> and if you remember Guitar Hero being on the PlayStation 2, then the Xbox, then the PS3, and the Wii, and the Xbox 360. Whoa. 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 That's a lot. But it does connect to today's topic. I'm Courtney. This is Tom. And we're your co-hosts on the show, Remember the Odds. Woo! In today's episode, we are talking about the epic. Knights of Sidonia by Muse. It's so good. Oh yeah. Would you like me to read some lyrics for the song? Please do. Alright. Uh mind the very long but epic, to borrow a word from Kesey, uh intro. The lyrics include Come ride with me through the veins of history. I'll show you what God falls asleep on the job and how can we win when fools can be kings don't waste your time or time will waste you no one's gonna take me alive <laughs> the time has come to make things right i feel like if i read any more i'm gonna read the whole song that's the whole song that's that's that, pretty that is the, the whole, whole song, song. yeah <laughs> that last uh chunk that you just said is literally the rest of the song so I guess we can get started on, like, the beginnings of the band, who is Muse. Yes, I would say that Are they? this is definitely more, for the band at least, I know that you're much more of a fan. Like, I've always loved this song, and I do like other songs, but I really only started listening to Muse because I got your recommendation, and I was like, whoa, I need to listen to more of Muse, and you gave me some of their best hits, and I still have them in my playlist to this day oh that's amazing yes. yeah i got into muse when i was in the eighth grade mm. and it was more with their third album absolution which had the singles time is running out uh stockholm syndrome which to this day is still one of my favorite songs and uh hysteria um when their fourth album came out black holes and revelation uh that was in 2006 yes so at that time i knew the single had come out i knew it was the last song on that album but i didn't realize in the context of the entire album that it was going to stand out so much as it did because it ends the album and when you're going through the entire album it just sort of fits the flow of it but once it's out of that context it really does hit differently yeah so um so I got some notes cool, cool. on the beginning of Muse. All right. Uh, Muse is a band that started in the early 1990s when uh, the members all attended community college in Teenmouth. I assume in England, and, right? Yeah, okay. it's in England. Um, that just goes to show you that good things can come out of community college. Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, what a great thing to happen. So uh, Matthew Bellamy, the lead singer of the band, he was auditioning for another band with the drummer, Dominic Howard, Mm -hmm. and Dominic Howard liked his sound, so he became the lead singer, the songwriter, and the front man for this other band. Okay. When they decided to split and make their own band called Rocket Baby Dolls. Rocket Baby Dolls. Rocket Baby Dolls. They asked Chris... Wollstenholme to join their band but he was also a drummer so they basically told him to learn how to play the bass to be in the band and he said okay I'll just go learn the bass the ingenuity a normal thing to just pick up yes so they changed their name to 
Muse because I thought it sounded more professional, and it does. Uh, and it was a much sleeker design. It's a very simple design. It fits into a lot of the crazy imagery that they like to use in their albums. And uh, yeah, they've been playing together ever since. Every single member in the band is still the original member from 1994. Oh, wow. Which, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, their commitment is A+. plus. So they've taken a lot of influences from Jimi Hendrix and Jeff Buckley and Tom Morello. But to me, I get a real feeling of Rush, the band. Yeah, I definitely yeah, see that. There's a lot of similarities between like topics and the combination of like synthetic and like electronic music versus like rock and alternative rock and progressive rock. So they combined a lot of influences and Matt Bellamy even has said that uh, Spanish rock and like Spanish guitar has been a huge influence for him. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense with the sound of Knights of Sidonia. Oh, yeah. There's a whole lot of influences there that I remember having looked through when I was doing research on this episode. Mm -hmm. And like Matt Bellamy in general is such an anomaly. Like, first he auditions for a band. Yes. And then he says, okay, now I'm just going to take over. He didn't actually say that. I don't know why yeah. he said that. But essentially what happens is he auditions for a band, and then he becomes the core of the band. That's awesome. And also, like, Matt Bellamy strikes me for some reason, and I've always thought this, even as a kid, that he is not a person, but just sort of an entity created to be a guitar. Like, he's the anthropomorphic representation of a guitar he's playing because nobody uses vibrato falsetto and these like high-pitched tones with the arpeggioed guitar the way that he does to the point that it almost sounds like his voice is the same as the guitar it's it's insane yeah the guitar especially for this song i don't know if we want to jump into the song just yet but there's a lot of influences and complex sound design that's involved in this song Mm -hmm. yeah And he's used a lot of those arpeggios in his other songs. But uh, it's really interesting to see how all these elements come together for this song. And we can definitely start getting into uh, the song itself. I mean, one of the main influences for the song was actually music created by his dad. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. So his dad was a musician in the band The Tornadoes. Oh, my God. I was just going to. Yes. Yes. Go ahead. And so I listened to the two songs that are supposed to be, like, the major inspirations for the guitar riffs in Knights of Sidonia. It's uh, Telestar by the Tornadoes, Mm -hmm. and then it's also the song Riding with the Wind, which is kind of the inspiration for the lyrics. Oh, wow. And you can definitely hear it a little bit. You can see how Matt Bellamy takes those concepts and runs with it. But at the core of it, you can definitely see... Like, it's kind of like this, like, ode to his dad. I don't think that's his intention, but it's nice to see those elements are there. beautiful i really didn't know that was his dad like i when i looked into it i definitely because i looked up the song telestar Uh or telstar and definitely because that's an instrumental song but like definitely that guitar riff Mm -hmm. that sound that it makes that like really high surf rocky sort of vibe Mm -hmm. the moment i heard it i'm like oh yeah this is absolutely like because that's the whole opening bridge for knights of sidonia Right. And Matt Bellamy is also somebody who has said frequently that it's never been about the lyrics first to him. It's always been about making the music, making the song first, and then creating lyrics to accompany that. Okay. And I think based on his influences for the song and his incredible talent with playing guitar. Yeah. 
those should take priority. That makes a lot of sense to me. Oh, yeah. And the song, with the focus on the music and the atmosphere it creates, that definitely leads towards allowing for a very dynamic and interesting music video. Yes. I don't know if you want to jump into it yet. Um, I do just want to say from my research, from a little bit of why I looked into the song itself, mm-hmm. like I know it hit like really high on the charts. Like that was their takeaway steel hit from that album. Mm-hmm. If that's fair to say. Mm-hmm. I know it came out, what is it? 2000 November. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then I became very familiar with it because of Guitar Hero. Guitar Hero is this weird thing when we were kids that took the elements of DDR, Dance Dance Revolution, but somebody decided, hey, let's put it on a guitar of all things. Yeah. Oh, that deserves its whole episode. Yeah. Guitar oh, for sure. Hero. Yeah. But um, I think like what made this song stand out, because it's not like the last song in the game. It's not like, what were the last songs in the game? They were like Raining Blood by Slayer, which that's, that's intense. And then One by Metallica. And then everyone remembers Through the Fire and Flames being the extra song at the end. But Knights of Sidonia, yeah, Knights of Sidonia stood out because, like, you don't expect it to be as difficult. But when that bridge comes up, yeah. oh, my God. Like, the str- like I went back on YouTube and watched people play that song to, like, 100 completion on expert mode. <laughs> uh, it's exactly how I pictured it. It's a very scrawny man with no shirt on playing Guitar Hero. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, and he he nailed it. He nailed it, and I was very impressed, but then I moved on. The thing that killed me about Guitar Hero at the time was suddenly everybody was like, yeah, man, I'm like totally into rock and roll, and all these songs existed before the game, and granted, however you find your interest, that's totally fine. If you find your interest because of a video game, I'm so happy that you have stumbled upon this thing that now you like. But also, at the time when you're like 14, 15, and you're a rocket, and you're kind of being judged for it, suddenly this video game comes out, and everyone's like, yeah, man, like, rock and roll. You know what? I I can't get upset about that. That's how I felt about zombies. (laughs) Sidebar, I was, (laughs) I got huge into zombies in, like, the middle school because oh, of Resident fair. Evil. Yeah. Yep. I played Resident Evil Two, and then I was like, a thing. I need to play all the Resident Evils, and then I needed to watch all the zombie movies, and I I watched all the Romero zombie movies. Night of Living Dead is still the best one ever made, and in middle school that wasn't taken kindly, no. <laughs> very at all. No. That was very much like, hey, he watches a lot of horror movies. He's gonna be a school shooter. <laughs> Yeah, that was the general mindset back then. Yeah, but then once we get to high school, and I think Zombie Survival Guide and World War Z sort of made it, not the cool thing, but more, I don't know when it became, it became, you know what, it did become very pop culture. Like, zombies were everywhere. I was going to say, it sort of twisted the, it, it sort of created a spin on the zombie fascination that had a little bit of wit and humor to it. Yeah. And that can sometimes invite a lot more people than just watching old movies. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't mind that at all, but I remember the for the things that I loved in middle school as like this art like just just these goofy B movies with that was my like escape became now a source of uh almost elite cynicism. Like, I remember people would have very intense debates about the best way to survive. And I was like, well, the movie's 90 minutes long. The thing is, in high school, during that time, actually during anybody's time, there's always that one person who doesn't know shit about the thing you're talking about, but thinks they can give you the most advice on that thing. Yeah. In the most and obnoxious way possible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's when I really, because I didn't want to watch The Walking, because like that's it. Eventually, led into the 2010s. Mm-hmm. Zombies have a massive explosion. You have The Walking Dead. You have the movie Warm Bodies. You have a bunch of things. I literally and just now, pictured an explosion of zombies just going up into yeah. the air and then plopping back down on the ground. And you know what the irony is? Is that now the zombie craze has ended. Yeah. But. Games like Resident Evil 2 Remake and Resident Evil 3 Remake are doing in like amazing. 
I think that the zombie thing happened because of Twilight. I think that for every supernatural thing that became popular. Because it was vampires, and then it was werewolves, and then naturally people were going to be like, okay, what else, what other thing can we pick up that we haven't talked about yet? Oh, zombies. Let's do zombies next. Ending the sidebar. Nah, no more sidebar. <laughs> uh, so back to Guitar Hero and Knights of Sidonia. Yeah, so Guitar Hero is kind of what brought people to see like, oh, Muse has something to offer in like the general longstanding of rock and roll in general. But it was that moment when I started hearing it being played and people struggling to get it right that I was like, this band is actually really, really good. And the musician, Matt Bellamy, is so talented and we just don't know it. Like, to me, I hope that we yeah. can look back at that time and see Muse as, like, the next modern rock legend that will be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Hall of Fame. I think that's a very fair, like, a very fair take to have. Like, especially, like, for me, that was my introduction. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine that all of a sudden this song explodes. Mm -hmm. And, like, a lot more people are aware of it. That kind of solidifies the idea, like, oh, yeah, no, this is... This, this band, this album is going to go places. Yeah, like when I listen to it on my CD player by myself, alone in my room, it's just, it's my thing. It's it's, the, yeah. it's between me and the CD player. But when you hear it being played in the senior lounge or at your friend's house and they're playing the video game and they're struggling, you're like, oh, wait a minute, this is becoming, this is this is building momentum other people are hearing it and you're hearing it in a space where you realize like oh it's not just me and the song anymore it's this big thing that people are getting yeah. into um oh yeah before we do get into the actual music video i also want to add uh yes. i saw them live and i think it was 2010 um so it was after night of sidonia it was their next album their fifth studio album what an amazing show like, they're known for putting together just a fucking badass show. And it really was. It was one of the most fun shows. There's lights everywhere. They bring out this piano that when he touches the keys, it lights up on that key. Oh, that's beautiful. It was so much fun. It was really great. Um, My college roommate at the time, her and her boyfriend, they got tickets to go. And then it was also her boyfriend's birthday. So he was, like, given tickets for better seats and oh, wow. he was just like we don't know what to do with these extra tickets so they gave them to me and joe and we went and it was just it was such a blast they're also like they're much more danceable in like a live setting oh yeah no there's definitely a groove element yeah like as a few of the other songs when you hear them there's definitely like that groove they have many influences i mean even on this album alone like i saw some references to like Depeche Mode, mm -hmm. <laughs> Millionaire, Lightning Bolt, Sly and the Family Stone, and like specifically for this song, like music from Southern Italy, which kind of adds to that whole spaghetti Western vibe they went with for the song yeah. and especially the video. Yeah, and I think that they're such a good band. I stopped listening to them after the, uh, the album that Knights of Sidonia comes out on. Just because I think that uh, Black Holes and Revelations is them really reaching for the top. It's them saying, like, we're here. This is what we do. This is what we're good at. And we're here to show you. And then they get their mainstream success. They get a song on Guitar Hero 3. And then Matt Bellamy becomes a playable character in Guitar Hero 5, I think. Oh, my God. That, that's when I dropped off. Okay. I have no idea. That's when I looked up. So then the, sec the two albums after that kind of imply a band who are sitting safely at the top. I don't think that yeah. their music is bad. I think that they've always had a stronger fan base in Europe and in England. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's why we kind of stopped hearing about them. Um, I think the albums are supposedly, supposed to be pretty good. It just they kind of lost interest with me a little bit. But... Uh, both albums after this one win uh, Best Rock and Roll Grammy. So I, 
I mean, it just goes to show you that they are still doing really well and uh, kudos to them. Yeah, no, definitely now is the time to go check out those other albums. I think I'm will. Yeah. I'm definitely interested. Now, if you want to do this amazing transition, this music video, there's a lot to unpack here for good. Not saying it a bad thing, but this music video. It's the best. It's, I think if anything, this music video was inspiration for this episode. Yes. Yes, it was. I was like watching old videos because now that we've been getting into our Remember the Odds podcast, we've both been going back into the things that we love from our childhoods and like in one part jest and then in one part nostalgia oh this really was amazing and then watching this video made me think we really need to do Knights of Sidonia I also yes. thought that we should do one more song that isn't the reason by Hoobas Tank before we get into our upcoming uh, miniseries that we're, we're doing a first miniseries guys Ooh. it's gonna be fun it's gonna be we are transitioning from episodic to linear storytelling. We're evolving. We're trying our best. So I felt like we had to bring in one good song before we get yes, started on that. That's totally fair. Um, I This is where I really went down the rabbit hole. I fell in love with the making of this music video. I had not seen this music video in a long time. And I remember really liking it back in the day. But I had no idea just how much it was involved in this video. And not only that, but just how, like, rewatching it, I'm like, this captured my attention the entire six minutes. For sure. And I wanted to rewatch it several times. We've been rewatching Firefly as a household, which has a very similar vibe. It's, you know, it's a space western, space yes. cowboys. Mm -hmm. And what can be more fun than Space Cowboys? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> uh, Courtney, do you want to hear the plot as written by IMDB yes. for the music video? They have an IMDB, IMDB plot line? Yes, they oh, do. Oh, boy, that's amazing. Because uh, the, the, the production involved, like, I don't know. There are some musicians nowadays who make really grand, big music videos, but not to, like, the extent in which this was a thing back in the day. It's different like I, now. Yeah. Like if you are going to make that big of a statement with your music videos, you're going to do something huge and insurmountable like Beyonce's Lemonade. Or even uh, This Is America. Right, exactly. Like You're doing it to make that statement. It's not about just making a good music video like it was back in the day. Yeah. There's either this sense of statement or even because of the internet age, this sense of virality. Like right. something about this has to take off or else it gets lost in the confines of the internet. But like this music video is essentially a film. Like it is a short film. Uh, and a, the plot, according to IMDb, in the accompanying video to Muse's 2006 magnum opus, a rogue hero with no name fights to liberate a town from the clutches of its ruling sheriff. I like that the plot completely ignores the whole sex triangle that goes on. Yeah. I love that. The love interest. Yeah. I love that scene when they do the slap montage. Yep. Into just like ending up with no clothes on and having sex. Because you know what's, it's very you know what's well interesting? Done. The original version that we would have seen on Fuse or, M well, I don't know if MTV was playing at the time, but the original version we would have seen as kids didn't have the full scene. It stops after they start kissing. I don't remember that. I think because at that point we did have access to YouTube. Yes. The YouTube version is the full version in which they do go forward and have, you know, go have the sex and have the amazing moment where the camera zooms in and they might actually catch the studio crew and the director in the mirror. Perfect. That was one of my favorite scenes. As it should be. Now, this music video, like I said, it's a it's a full short film with a, like a lot behind it. Uh, it they shot it in five days. Mm -hmm. There was three days in Romania, one day in London at the Black Island Studio where they did all the blue screen okay. when the band played in front of the blue screen and they digitally put them in the video, and then one day in Red Rock, California. That's a lot of traveling for one music video. 
yeah, some of the people involved. Uh, let's see, the cast includes, these are, you'll find these people on IMDb with prolific careers. Uh, you have British actor Russ Bain as the protagonist, or the man with no name. He's so Very much, yes, that is a, that is the man with no name, that is reference to the spaghetti westerns where you have the man with no name trilogy with Clint Eastwood. Then you have uh, Richard Brake as the sheriff. He's been in a few things. I was going to say, that sounds familiar. Yeah, and he shows up in other projects from this director. And then Cassandra Bell as the love interest, a.k.a. Princess Shane Kuriyami? Okay. That's her official character's name. Didn't know um, that she was descendant of royalty, but all right. You know what? There's cyborgs, robots, and a unicorn. Might as well. Yeah. Uh, the director of the video, and this is where I really dove deep. Uh, his name is Joseph Kahn. He was picked as the director because he had worked on a few previous projects with the band. Okay. He is a Korean American filmmaker, and he worked. He became big for working with uh, like a list of artists. Like it's unbelievable. He worked with acts such as Eminem, Britney Spears, The Backstreet Boys, Jennifer Lopez, Lady Gaga, okay. Samantha Mumba, Taylor Swift, Samantha Shakira. Mumba. Yeah, uh, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Kelly Clarkson, Mariah Carey, Christina Aguilera, 50 Cent, Destiny's Child, George Michael, and the Jonas Brothers. Wow, that's an incredible list. Yeah, he has a long list of artists he's worked with. And then he's actually, um, do you remember from 2015, that short film with uh, Van James Vanderbeek for the Power Rangers? What? No. Oh, you did. What are you talking about? You didn't know this? Okay, in 2015, a a short film was released online called Power Slash Rangers because uh, Saban Entertainment got very upset that there was a short film made without their permission. Sure, they did. Uh, but it stars James Vanderbeek and a bunch of the former uh, members of the Power Rangers in a short gritty film about the power rangers like 20 years later oh my god i had no idea yeah it was written by james vanderbeek and i know that um, he wrote it yeah james Kahn directed it uh but he's also done a few films uh one i watched last night called uh detention which when you watch it you definitely see that knights of sedoni influence it's very the editing is all over the place it's very fast-paced mm-hmm. Uh, very witty. I liked it a lot, but I can tell why a lot of people didn't like it. What happens in attention? Are there horses slash unicorns that turn into motorcycles? It is a horror comedy slasher film. Okay. But there's also time travel involved and aliens Perfect. and a boy and a boy who has the power of flies. When you say that, do you mean he can flies? Or he no. just brings out the flies. They come he, to like in the way that no. fish go to Aquaman. It's no, it's more like uh, he's super strong, but uh, has sticky hands and vomits uh, acid. Well, that sounds great. I don't feel too good about drinking my mango juice anymore. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. That's a. Actually, that does sound kind of familiar, but I feel like I heard it more in a parody than an actual movie that was made. Yeah, because this movie, I mean, it is a parody, but like, I forgot it was a slasher film until the slasher showed up. And I'm like, we were just watching a boy turn into a fly. It might have been something in parody to The Fly with Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. Yeah. But what I like about what this what this movie kind of shows is Joseph Kahn's like attention to detail mm-hmm. and his like satirical nature on taking a specific genre and like running with okay. it. Because like the opening to this movie, I thought was brilliant. It was really funny. It stars this uh, actress, Allison Woods, if you ever heard of her. No, that name doesn't sound familiar. And it's like she wakes up. There's text kind of like Scott Pilgrim in a way. There's like text on the screen that kind of tell you a bit about the character and the she, they break the fourth wall, and she's kind of describing her character. She's like, I'm the bitch. Okay. <laughs> and she's like, beautiful, intelligent, uh, something else, something else, something right. else. And the story kind of goes on from there. Uh, 
I think the most notable name in the movie is uh, Josh Hutcherson. Oh, yeah. Of Hunger Games. Oh, yeah. Josh Hutcherson. He's in the movie as a main character and comedian Dane Cook. Oh. Our favorite, like, everlasting, true legend of our time. Yeah. Dane Cook. Um, actually, the latest film Joseph Kahn did is a is called Bodied. Did you hear about this? No, I've never heard of this. It's a satirical black comedy about racial tensions in the world of battle rap. Oh, that sounds really good. I've heard good things. Like, some people like this movie, some people don't. But the people who like it, love it. And I've heard from from a couple of friends that they really liked the whole satirical element of it. And I think that, I mean, that goes along with his whole with his whole gimmick, like not gimmick, but like everything he's done, it takes this reflective look at what the genre and society as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I think it was produced by Eminem actually. Yeah. It says it was produced by Eminem and it's kind of nice to see him tackle a subject, but also not be at the forefront of it. Cause it's always been Eminem. It's always been about how he is this guy in this the realm. white guy in the hip hop community. Yeah. yeah, he is benefiting off of predominantly black made music, and it's kind of good to see him step away from that. And because then it, the focus isn't on just well, this is Eminem, and the focus yeah. can actually be on the story. Yeah, because then he did what Eight Mile back in the early was that the early aughts? Oh, we're gonna have to cover Eight Mile. Oh. <laughs> I haven't seen 8 Mile. Yeah, 2002. A stark contrast from 8 Mile, which was very self-serious, very much about his life and in the battle rap scene. And I'm not saying it's bad. It's probably, it, if I, if anything, it's a good movie. But I think in today's climate, it's definitely better. And I think a sign of growth that you have this Korean American filmmaker making a satirical, like, perspective about that mm-hmm. in the you know in the battle rap community because i haven't seen it maybe i should want to see it. on it yeah yeah uh my friend claude he loves it he says it's brilliant and that he really appreciates the the use of satire to cover otherwise very difficult topics to talk about also it has some real musicians in it too which is nice who's in it um charlemagne the god Oh wow. Paula de Don and Dumbfounded. Okay. So like a lot of people who could use this attention and benefit awesome. from being in this film. Yeah, that's You know, cool. and it also kind of like like this movie gives them the space to show their stuff. I, I kinda wanna see this movie. It looks good. Well like when you watch Knights of Zidonia, you see this play on genre. And I think the best way to put that is uh, Khan said himself in a behind the scenes I watched for the making of this video. He cool. says, there was a really cool era of films after 1979, after Steven Spielberg came out with Jaws and The Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's this, this music video is about the people who were trying to be George Lucas and Steven Spielberg, but with one-tenth the budget. Yes. And came and came up with the craziest, weirdest science fiction. Yes, these were American movies like westerns or science fiction, but usually funded by some European arms dealer yeah. and directed, and directed by a completely crazy, coked out director. That's amazing. That's such a perfect description. Yes, in this video, it. How would you say it opened? First of all, this also. I don't know if this was. I mean, it's before digital really blew up blew mm-hmm. up but at this time i still believe a lot of films were being shot digitally this was shot on traditional 35 millimeter god bless their souls yeah and you see it in like like obviously there was the footage was altered but you still get that sense of grainy old style 70s filmmaking mm-hmm. in the production mm-hmm. do you want to talk about where how the video opens um, I'm honestly drawing a little bit of a blank right now on exactly how it opens. No worries. I'm like remembering um, it, different elements of it, but I don't remember the exact scene that it opens up to. It uh, opens up with our protagonist waking up out of bed, the man with no name, 
doing a bunch of karate moves, each with their own names. The Circle of Death, the Snake Viper. I wish I had written them down. They are outrageous names. Um, I remember the Flaming Ball. Yes. Because that's actually something I would do in Tai Chi, is it would look like you have like a ball of energy with you. Um, what I like about this actor so much is he does these Joaquin Phoenix and Joker level contortions with his body and finds the way to play them seriously and comedically all at once because he's playing it so seriously but it's so funny at the same time the way his eyes gouge open as he's doing the different poses or the different karate moves it's so great he has like a real energy about him as the protagonist oh yeah yeah a hundred percent everyone i I will say that from what I watched and the description from the act, the cast and crew, it was a brutal shoot. They went real hard. Like, I know, like, we're joking about, like, it's a parody. It takes all these. But they really committed to it. The attention to detail is phenomenal with this music video. Yeah, I think it's a love letter to this kind of filmmaking. Yeah. And also, at the same time, part of that love letter is being aware of all of the cheese that comes with it. Oh, yeah. It was a tough shoot. They had like 400 extras on set at any given time. Are you serious? Yeah, 400 extras. So many people. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. All the exterior scenes where they're, you know, in the town and they're fighting people and then in the bar, those all took place in Romania. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think what I love about that is that I think that's a decision made for tax purposes i'm not 100 sure you can say i'm wrong but i think they shot in romania to be cost efficient but this is where james Conn's like satire comes in because he even thinks he goes all right so this is gonna you know we're replicating the 70s and 80s we're filming in romania let's add some comedic elements about the time because do you remember towards the end of the music video there's a moment a brief moment where right behind him are two people waving communist flags Oh my gosh, that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> I, He's making a direct joke reference to the whole, like, if you make a movie in this country, you must show some sort of pride or support for the country. Um, Romania is actually supposed to be, like, a very, very beautiful country. And I have... Oh, yeah. Um, from a family that um, of a little girl that I taught and babysat, after she was my student, they made me a hand... They brought me a hand-painted dish from Romania... Oh, really? Yeah, I still have it. It's absolutely beautiful. But there are so many elements in this music video that are so silly. Like, I just remembered, it's not the first scene in the music video, but shortly after, there's just footage of a hawk just staring knowingly at the protagonist, like, you know what you must do for your journey. I love that. Was it a hawk or an eagle? I thought it was a hawk. I think it's a hawk. It is a big bird. It's a big bird with very powerful eyes and a powerful beak. He is my favorite part of the whole video. Because it's like, it's right at the beginning. It's right at the, right before the major bridge hits. Mm -hmm. They do a zoom in on this goofy ass bird. (laughs) Like he's a powerful bird. He's just like, but his, exactly. He has these like protruding eyes and his mouth's open. And it's like, this is a powerful bird, but even the shot they used is so goofy. But like throughout the video, like anytime there's an epic moment, you'll see a washout image where the film blends, where the eagle is transparently in the background flapping its wings as to incite, as to incite our hero, the man with no name, which weirdly enough, I look back on it and I actually paid attention to the plot in the video this time. Mm -hmm. Because I think we were kids, it was just like, wow, that was a crazy video. But as an adult, I'm like, all right, so the main protagonist is just some guy who rolls into town to sleep with the sheriff's girlfriend. Like, that's his whole, like, I know the plot, according to IMDb, is he is set to uh, free the town from the from its ruling sheriff. But the sheriff doesn't necessarily do anything until this guy shows up and sleeps with his girlfriend. Right, I mean, like, do they make, I mean, I don't, I couldn't really tell if it was a girlfriend or if he was taking advantage of her sexually. 
You know what? That could be it too. Because that's like, the feeling I got from when he licked her face. Is that? Oh yeah. It wasn't necessarily a symbol of like you're my girlfriend, but it was more like I have the power to put you in this position, and I'm gonna do whatever I want, and nobody can stop me. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's fair. So that's kind of. I how wasn't. I took it. Yeah, I wasn't suggesting the sheriff was a good guy. No, no, no. I know you weren't. He's definitely yeah, yeah. not a good guy. For the record, <laughs> no. sheriff, bad guy. But Sheriff is bad. Yeah. Uh, they don't entirely make it clear. I'm just uh, questioning the protagonist's motives. Right. Um, I, but I think that's part of those movies is that there's this, like, sexually, like, lustful love interest. And even just the slap sequence that I just love so much because it's so ridiculous um, implies that, like, he infuriates her. There's this, like, amazing sexual tension between the two of them. Uh, He sleeps with her. And then he basically gets, like, arrested and treated as a wanted man. And then he is basically discarded and goes on a journey to make himself strong enough to defeat the sheriff there's definitely like to throw some references to because like you were saying mm-hmm. that's the kind of like a tribute to the time i look at movies like xanadu yeah and zardox which is from 1974 but that's the one with sean connery wearing that really weird leotard I don't know if you've ever seen this. Um, I've never seen Sean Connery in a leotard, and it's not something I ever planned on seeing, but now that you've said it, I feel like I need to see it. Hold on, I will show you real quick. This is, again, like one of those sci-fi western movies shot on a budget, and there's like that common theme. If, you have a, if you're trying to make a sci-fi movie, but you're on a budget, you just shoot it in some desert somewhere, because it's really cheap to shoot in the desert. For sure. And the in the Knights of Sidonia music video... Oh, oh, I, okay. Forget everything I just said. I, I'm, yep, oh boy. Sean Connery in a leotard. That doesn't, With a ponytail. That doesn't look entirely different than Mila Jovovich's outfit in, like, her suspenders in Fifth Element. Uh, that might have been an influence. Oh boy. Um, <laughs> thank you for burning oh, my brain. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I just can't unsee this ever. He's so hairy. Why yeah. is he so hairy in this? And then they give <laughs> him more no hair idea. with the braid and the mustache. Okay. We'll come back to this. Yeah. Just put a pin in the Sean Connery and a leotard situation. But yeah, so basically the, the name of the town in the music video is Sidonia which is an area of Mars known as the face of Mars. Mm. So they kind of wanted to imply that this is a town that's uh, landed or safely found civilization on the face of Mars. And you know what? That's kind of a, I'm thinking about now. Well, I don't know why I just realized this. If you tell a sci-fi story in a desert, it only makes sense to make it like, a western because it's like that you're you're back on the frontier rebuilding society kind of like another side note (laughs) it's kind of like my favorite anime trigun yeah i mean we grew up with so many animes that are like that like cowboy bebop trigun outlaw star Mm -hmm. and like i mentioned we've been recently rewatching firefly and we were trying to figure out where they shot it and they had said that a lot of the outdoor scenes were just shot in the middle of nowhere nevada yeah because there's just enough desert space to do that oh yeah definitely like this cost efficient but like if done well really good narrative as to like capturing that idea of regaining a society rebuilding from the ground up with this but now you add these sci-fi elements like the cyborg that appears for five minutes not even five seconds the laser gun the laser gun even the cd projection of the band playing the song is very much like an ode to star wars with princess leia being projected on r2d2 when he plays the message so it's very easy to just make a western and then add some aluminum foil and some pew pew pews and 
some like metallic outfits and you're set for a space western oh yeah i do want to say like one of the interesting things i saw while during the making of this was like like i just referenced that um the cyborg is just walking around in the desert like it's so brief mm-hmm. like it's only a few seconds and it's it's kind of funny because you're like there's just a cyborg in the desert like not even a cyborg like a full-on robot yeah he's just walking around they show him for two seconds but like in the behind the scenes that scene was like like a four-hour ordeal four hours yeah because you have to put the whole suit on you have to get the you have to get all the lighting and the and the the set design right because they filmed this near a volcano. See, this is why I hate acting. It's just, it takes too yeah. long. There are friggin' volcanoes everywhere. And like the apparent, I forgot his name. I wish I remember, but this guy, the actor in the robot suit, his entire career is playing robots. Can you imagine? Did he choose that life, or did it choose him? I don't know, but like he is qualified as. By like the you know, the British acting unions as like the, the guy who plays guy. robots. He's the robot expert. So whenever you need a guy in a robot suit, you call this guy. It's amazing. There's always got to be a robot guy. And the suit was apparently incredibly bulky and incredibly hot. So they would do a couple takes, and then they would need to take like a twenty minute break because, and then he would dehydrate, and they didn't want him to pass out. And they did like, it. Getting it all. No, they didn't think that was a good idea in the desert. Yep, it's so because like for like a five second cameo, it's there's so much like work involved, and I think that's why like I love this video because like every time I go back, there's so much details that you don't necessarily pick up on. Like mm-hmm. yesterday was the first time I noticed that during their sex scene, during that like sl- like that that swing zoom in that they do, you see the director and the cat and the crew in the mirror as they're filming it, and they left it in like. For the music video, that was deliberate. But, like, do you know how many bad movies I've watched where they by accidentally left that shit in? That's amazing. A lot. (laughs) Too many. (laughs) Too many. I remember that was the thing about The Office, too, that they said that they didn't have to worry about that because making it look like a low-budget documentary meant that they could actually leave the boom bikes in the shot or let like the camera crew be seen in the background because that's exactly what they were trying to create you only see him and that's the thing you only see the director like somebody was casted as the director of this movie yeah yeah and you only see him in the youtube version of the video because like i said it was censored for tv mm-hmm. but like the the attempt like the outfit he's wearing, the handlebar mustache, the over, the really big sunglasses, the scrawny, like, coked out, like, behavior. It's so perfect. Yeah. But you only see it for, like, a half a second if you're paying attention to the mirror and not the sex scene. I remember in that music video when they start, like, making love, he, like, puts his face on her boobs. And at the time, I remember thinking... Why is he eating her boobs? Like, why is he biting her boobs? Because I was a child and didn't know any better. I just remember looking at that and thinking, that's a weird choice. He's not kissing her face or her neck. He's just biting her boob and thinking, why would somebody do that? Very aggressively. (laughs) Another fun uh, detail I picked up, and this was, uh, they talked about in the making of. If you notice, sometimes the cast of the video will actually speak aloud the the lyrics to the song right but it's never actually synced with the audio no no which i think (laughs) works for it in a way much better than just trying to get them to lip sync to the song oh because it sort of instills the idea from the song that this person needs to break apart this broken system and saying like you and i must fight for our right and in one minute, he looks like an idiot because he's getting, like, shit thrown at his face. That was the only thing I couldn't find out if that was real shit or not. It looks like, like I know that's shit. A, like, it, that's what I'm saying. It's a dumb question. But at the same time, when you watch the video, you're like, that looks like horse shit. Right. And if it's not horse shit, I would imagine that whatever was used to make it look like horse shit is still something that was very uncomfortable to be thrown at your face. 
Yeah. So, yeah. And um, another thing about the lip syncing, like that immediately brought me back to, again, the, the, the reference to the spaghetti westerns. Like the spaghetti westerns are looked at as classics. Like people always talk about them, you know, the, you know, fistful of dollars for a few dollars more. Mm-hmm. And the most famous one being The Good, Bad, and the Ugly. Mm-hmm. And they are fantastic films. But when you watch them now, like there are, beautiful landscape shots you know the main cast is pretty good but like for the most part all the extras because these again were filmed in italy Mm -hmm. on the cheap like what they did is the the cast all the extras would talk in their native language and then get dubbed in whatever country was showing the movie right so when you watch you know good bad and the ugly in america with you know the english out of because it'll be perfectly synced with like Clint Eastwood and the main characters, but out of nowhere you'll see like a side character speak, and you're like, "Wait a minute, that doesn't that doesn't line up at all." <laughs> they did not say that. And then what's funny is for my dad, he is a he was born in Italy and lived there. He grew up on those movies because they featured a lot in Italy, and it was the reverse. All the side characters synced up perfectly, but not the main actors. That's what's so great about this music video is it does play on that what you're talking about. And it's something that always brings a chuckle to fans when they're watching a spaghetti western. It's always that's what I mean by like the music video being a love letter to how silly this kind of genre can be, because there is always that element of nope, that's not synced up quite properly. I don't know. You could probably elaborate on this more, but I did read a, when I was watching the making of mm-hmm. the uh, drummer of the band. He was talking about like they came up with this song, and then the video retrospect, like also when they were on tour in America and they were driving through the plains of Montana, and they were like, "Wow, isn't that something? Just look at these. Look at that." And while he was looking out the window, watching the planes roll by the guitarist was playing just whatever makeshift riffs he could. And then they started syncing it up. They're like, if you play like this surf rock sort of thing, it does kind of add up to this weird, cool spaghetti Western sort of vibe. Mm. Also to throw this in, they were both wearing cyberpunk outfits for some reason. Sure, sure they were. Like cyberpunk goggles. What else and, would you uh, be wearing in the Montana desert? Yeah. yeah. And uh, one of the blasters from the music video. Oh, really? Yep. Of course. Yeah, they talk a lot about their music uh, criticizing organized religion. And Matt Bellamy has criticized organized religion quite frequently. So I know that the lyrics of the song kind of imply that. I'll show you a god who falls asleep on the job kind of follows sense, yeah. the argument of well if we have a god then why would they allow all of these tragedies to happen but it does kind of play into the subject that they end up going into much more in their future albums which is we live in a, a broken system and we have to fight our way out of it and especially when the people in the music video who shout you and i must fight for our right it's in a state where they are being imprisoned by that system. That is a good point. Yeah. yeah. It's very true. I will also say, and as far as the aesthetic goes, mm-hmm. like I, I was looking up, you know, just their album work. Like even each song has its own like art rendition. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what I saw, cause I was looking around, I'm like, there's no way they have a seven inch of just this song. And I was wrong. They do have just a seven inch, mm-hmm. a 45 of this song with, which features the artwork and everything. And I'm like, that is gorgeous. I need that. Yeah. Their artwork has always kind of been something that I've been into in the last album, Absolution. It is kind of the surrealist images, but it kind of comes back in the black holes and revelation with more of a sci-fi feel to it uh, in that album cover because I never really looked quite closely at it but it's four men seemingly on Mars who kind of are dressed like businessmen like they're there to have a meeting but all of their suits look super spacey like one is just in this very metallic-y gold 
uncomfortable material. One has um, eyeballs all over it. The other one's made of mirrors. And then I think the other one is like moons and stars. Yeah. So they do really consider imagery with their work too. It is so apparent and I love it. I love it so much. Yeah, it's such it's such a good song. It's such a good music video. Yeah. When you saw them live, this is it, sorry, another quick sidebar, but not really. Uh, when you saw them live, because I read something about their stage performances for the song in particular. Yeah. I read that ever since 2008, every time they play the song live, it intros with the harmonica theme from Once Upon a Time in the West. Mm-hmm originally done by Ennio Macron, the Italian composer. Yes, who is also influenced by their dad, by his dad. Really? Yeah, it says so on um, the Wikipedia page for Knights of Sidonia that uh, George Bellamy ended up influencing um, Ennio Morricone. That's amazing. Yeah. That It comes full circle. Yeah. And um, I don't remember at the time, because when I was that age, when I did get to go see them, I think I was 19. Um, yeah. They didn't, I wouldn't have known what that song sounded like, but I do remember uh, the the band member taking out the harmonica and starting with the harmonica, which quite frankly fucked me up a little because then I was backtracking on the song and thinking, okay, was that guitar? Was that... Matt Bellamy's falsetto <laughs> voice, or was that a fucking harmonica? That's awesome. But it's so good. I mean, they're so good live. Even now, even though I don't really listen to a lot of their more recent music, I'd still see them live in a heartbeat because it's such a fun show. They're so full of energy and power when they play. And they also had Silver Sun pickups open up for them, which was just oh. as enjoyable. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I hopefully when the world opens up again, I would love to see. Right. Them. He also, um, congratulations to Matt Bellamy. He just had a baby girl. Baby girl. He just had a baby girl, Lovella Dawn Bellamy, which sounds like a better Twilight name. That's. <laughs> well, we have a couple more things. Oh yes, we yes. Have sorry, sorry. The emerging trends chart. I also want to add that this song doesn't follow by any means like a regular structure of a successful song uh a quote-unquote successful pop song usually involves the structure of verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus it, by you reading the lyrics you can see that it's just two paragraphs and that second paragraph is literally just the same two lines repeated over and over again yep um so there's not that much that we can take away from it, but it still left me a little confused between two choices. You know, it's weird. If you go by the music video, it's mutual and self-assured destruction and love. Hmm. But if you go by the lyrics, it's more so denouncement of society. I was thinking denouncement of society, probably first and foremost. But then when I listened to the lyrics, it kind of made me think, I'll take whatever you have, like, throw whatever you've got, and I'll take it. That's also true. That's the big moment is when he says, no one's going to take me alive. That is true. It's tough. You're yeah. right. Um, you know what? Quite literally for the chorus, I think it has to be take whatever you throw at okay. me. Let's yeah. put it in there then. Yeah, because it's the big moment in the song, and then it plays for the rest of the song. And that's how you know this is just purely good music because this fo- this song follows like no traditional song structure and it's such a good song it's so clearly about the music first and i think even with the music video you're watching it for two whole minutes before any singing starts and yes you never at some point think okay when are they going to start singing i think we need to ask the question what is the question courtney would this work today in 2020? Yes. I think hell yeah. I think yeah. Yeah, like it just it makes sense. Like I like uh I wish my sister had watched it. I love that she didn't do her homework. We asked her to do one thing and it's so funny because we posted the animation 
for the Shrek video. And she said, where am I, though? So I thought, oh, she's going to be pumped for this. Yes. And then she forgets and to watch the music video for today's episode. Yep. But, like, in all seriousness, like, one, the song is a real banger. Like, it is. So it is. Wow. Yes. But the music video itself, like, just the music video alone. Like, how long ago, not even that long ago, we had, like, the viral short film uh kung fury oh kung fury you know like yeah the internet loves this sort of thing yeah um, i think if we made a new knights of sidonia like i think if it just came out now if this was something brand new and fresh people would be so pumped to watch it yeah it would be like a especially shot on film you know you know film nerds would really get excited about that in an unnecessary manner just to show <laughs> but, that they know what the thing is. Yes. Just to let everybody know yep. they went to film school. Yep. I went to film school. I could tell they shot on 35 millimeter. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think it would absolutely do well today. I think like even from the, 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 the kid playing Guitar Hero getting in on expert mode, that was from a year ago. Oh, so that's not too long ago. No, he's still, people are still playing Guitar Hero. It's weird. <laughs> It's really weird. I know I like the game, but I don't know if I could play the game right now. Yeah. Yeah. So guys, don't <laughs> to our two fans, don't tell those Guitar Hero fans out there. I just don't get it. Post, Post Malone's a Guitar Hero fan. Please don't tell them we're talking yeah. about Guitar Hero. I also, I can't play Guitar Hero, but I can play regular guitar. And I'm very confounded why one does not inherently mean the other one should be easier. You are better than me. I do not know how to play an Thank instrument. Thank you. I try. I try to play an instrument. I try to play two is, instruments. Is mayonnaise Yeah. Is mayonnaise an instrument? If mayonnaise is an instrument, then we both play that just fine. Yes. I think that's the best way to wrap the episode. Thank you guys again so much for listening. Feel free to follow us on Spotify and our Instagram. Do you, Courtney, you want to shout out the handle? Yeah, so you can find us on Instagram for more interactive media on our page at remember the zero zero s podcast. So we remember the outs podcast on Spotify, and you can find us on Instagram on remember the zero zero s podcast. All right, guys, thank you so much. Stay tuned. And remember, mayonnaise is an instrument.